and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back again with you guys for another episode of our View from the Clock End podcast. I'm very happy to be joined, as always, by Kaya Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, just, I think, getting my mind off of Everton has helped. And now I'm going to throw myself back into the deep end and talk about it briefly today. Uh, so we'll see how I'm feeling at the end of the podcast. Hopefully still fairly fairly positive. Uh, we both, of course, travelled up there for that long Saturday afternoon um, and a long, long, lonely drive home uh, came afterwards. Uh, did you get back all right? Because I know that you were dropping Sandine off at the station. Did you uh, yeah. manage to get back in good time? <laughs> that added a bit of extra time onto the journey. Uh, I didn't get back till nine-ish, I think. Um, yeah, so mm. it took a, took a while. I had a, a nice stop off for a subway on the way home, though, so that, that made it worthwhile. I, very, I haven't had a subway for mm. years, but I just saw that that sign on the on the motorway. I thought, you know what, this is this is me tonight. And it was good. It was good. It was as good as I remembered it. Other sandwich takeaway places are available. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, uh, I stopped off at a service station and just got a wrap that was pretty dreadful in the end um, and a muffin that wasn't so dreadful. So yeah, there was uh, plenty to be uh, both sad and excited about on our journey up to Liverpool and on the way back as well. But uh, the football weren't great, was it? No, um, I think it was kind of a perfect storm for Arsenal in the sense that they went into it clearly a little bit off it. Um, obviously, the Sean Dyche new manager bounce was was massive. Um, Everton did everything Arsenal hate in terms of getting around them in midfield, um, cutting the grass short so the passing game was off, the crowd were up for it, all that kind of stuff, which they're very much allowed to do, by the way. That's that's not a, a criticism. That's 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 something that's there's no problem with that, but it did make things difficult for Arsenal. And part of me wonders, you know, if if that had been, you know, a couple months in for Sean Dyche rather than a couple of days in with Everton had been able to sustain such an energetic performance. I'm not so sure. I think it's sometimes you just run into a team at the exact wrong time. And that's what happened to Arsenal. It, it does seem to happen quite a lot at Goodison Park. I mean, they couldn't have had that excuse last year where I think it was Everton won one in like 15 under Rafa Benitez. And the one was obviously against Arsenal. But this time, Arsenal got beaten by the better side, I think, for the, the first time this season. That when we look back over games where Arsenal have been outplayed, I'd argue Leeds was probably the only one I can really think of where they were clearly the, the worst of the two teams and they got away with the result that day. Didn't on uh, on Saturday against Everton and it's about taking your chances. Sometimes, you know, Arteta said this in his post-match, sometimes when, you know, Eddie gets his chance in the first half, if he takes that, it becomes a lot more difficult for Everton. If Everton go 1-0 down, can they? the same sort of defensive football I don't know but listen everything went wrong for Arsenal they conceded from a set piece which is something they've not really done this season and all the other things I just mentioned so it was tough I mean I don't know if you think there's anything more I guess serious to be taken from it in terms of long-term trends or do we just put it down as a bad day at the office uh obviously there's the point about the blueprint being set for other teams about how they can approach it i asked james tarkovsky after the game in the mix zone whether or not they he'd felt kind of they'd given a blueprint to others and he was just like you know today's about everton they didn't really give me what i wanted to be honest but uh that's the way that it goes um but i think that uh, if anything it's a good game to get the kick up the backside that you need and i always kind of said after the game every season has a worst game 
and I'm hoping that this is the worst game of the season and that we're not going to experience anything worse than this. Uh, I'd rather it happen in this game in particular than, say, the Man City game in on Wednesday next week. So you need, I think, sometimes humbling. Um, it goes to show how difficult it is to go a whole season unbeaten as well. Um, and even though we've lost a game already this season, it was only our second loss of the campaign. Um, and we still are yet, of course, to lose a league game at home this season as well. And it's a good record that we've got, especially considering six of the next nine games in the league are at home. So it's a really good opportunity to build up some momentum in that sense. And uh, we're going to talk a lot more focus around kind of what is to come rather than what has, has been. And we'll do that. You were obviously in the press conference afterwards. What did you make of his, I love everybody speech? The <laughs> um, love works in mysterious ways, as I said to you in the press conference yeah. after. And um, yeah. Yeah, weird one. I mean, it's quite clear mind games, isn't it? He's trying to just deflect and make the narrative about his slightly odd comments rather than necessarily Arsenal um, have fallen off or, you know, this is them choking, all those kind of narratives that could have arisen. I think any sort of suggestion, if Arteta had come out after the press conference and been scathing at his team, I think we'd all be saying Arsenal were terrible, they were awful, you can't write this off as a one-off, but I think Arteta played it pretty well. I was surprised by how upbeat he is because he's he's such a uh, a passionate guy and so 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 desireful to win that sometimes that does lead to him being quite emotional in press conferences and quite angry in press conferences after after losses. But he was upbeat. I think he just it, it seemed to do like he'd put it aside already and he was already moved on to Brentford. It felt like that was at least the 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 image he was trying to convey was look this is in the past we're done can't change it now had an off day they were the better team. Let's move on, and probably a smart way to play it. I thought I was I was surprised because I thought he'd be a lot more angry. But no, I think you know Arteta will see against Brentford for sure. But it looks to me like he played a bit of a blinder when it comes to the uh, the press conference at least. Yeah, potentially so. Uh, I think you always want to kind of deflect away from the negatives. Obviously, as manager, you want to protect your players. And obviously, he'll have his own internal criticisms of his team behind the scenes, uh, as we know from the All or Nothing series. Even in then, you know, I, I think we only scratched the surface of kind of the things that go on behind the scenes at Arsenal, especially with, from a kind of critical perspective, which they never really want to show publicly. So, uh, yeah, they'll have their internal discussions. And I think that we can be sure that I say sure. I'm fairly sure that we'll see a reaction on Saturday. What I'm really curious about, though, is how we go into that game in terms of managing it with the Man City game so close after it. And do you think there's maybe players that underperformed in that Everton game that could see their place come under threat for the starting eleven on Saturday? Uh, maybe if the subs had done a little better, then yes. But mm. I didn't see enough from any of the, the three, the four subs sorry, that came on at uh, Goodison Park to suggest they're troubling a starting position. Jorginho will get a bit more onto him in depth in a second. I wasn't wowed by it. I don't think he was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I wasn't wowed by him. Um, Trossard was promising, but lacked end products. You know, Tommy Asu over White is an interesting debate, which maybe we can have, but uh, Fabio Vieira didn't do enough either. So, no, I, I don't think he'll, he'll change anything. I think Arteta's made quite a, a serious point when it comes to his his star players. They need to be playing every three, four days and playing to a high level. He had that with Bakayo Saka earlier in the year when people were criticising him for for playing him in the Europa League group stage games. And Arteta clapped that with, look, if he's going to be an elite player, he needs to do it every three days. And that's the reality of the situation. Look at Man City. They had Chelsea in the cup. Then they had, I think, the Manchester derby. And then I think they had Spurs and then Arsenal in the cup. So, you know, that's a tough run of games and that can happen to any big team. And if you're fighting on multiple fronts, that's something else we're going to have to deal with. And Brentford at home is the kind of game where you'd expect them to, to claim three points. And 
I think Arteta won't be tempted to change things. He hasn't changed things all season. So I don't see why he'd break from tradition now. And also, I do think maybe you send out a bit of a message that maybe this Man City game matters massively, which obviously it does in the context of the title, but you want to be taking as much pressure off it as possible from an Arsenal perspective. And if I were him, I, w- I would just look to stick with what's worked all season. It didn't work on on Saturday against Everton under a very specific set of circumstances. I think Brentford will try and target Arsenal on set pieces as well. But I don't see them in the same way, for example, being able to control the pitch. The atmosphere will be very pro-Arsenal. Um, all things like that, which did go against Arsenal on Saturday, they'll suddenly be in Arsenal's favour and Brentford will have to deal with that. So I, I would back Arsenal. Brentford are in good form, though. They, you know, they've not lost in nine, mm. but... I'd back him to to stick with the same the same group that he's gone for so far. I can't see any changes as things stand. Yeah, no, me neither. Uh, I, I think I'd be surprised because he's just got so much form of of picking the same team, uh, and he's done that in numerous occasions. Obviously, there are more options to him now. If, if I was to make a brave guess, Trossard's the obvious one to say that could come in in this fixture. Um, Tommy Asso, I think, is the other. Um, and depending on Partey's availability, even though we'd not expecting it to be, we're not expecting him to be unavailable for this game. Um, you never know, you know, he, he might choose to, to throw Jorginho in. Obviously, we said that Jorginho came in and didn't have the most amazing of games. I thought it was, it's a bit of a trial by fire in that moment. You're thrown in at half time. You're a player that obviously I think bodes a lot better by starting games than coming in a little bit cold, especially because you've never played with this team before. Um, and I think that he got a lot of stick after the game that was perhaps a bit harsh. What did you make of it? Yeah, it was a little bit unfair. I think when he came on around the hour mark and Everton scored, I think he came on 58 minutes and Everton scored 59 minutes or something yeah. like that. It was weird. He got a corner from the play on. after he yeah. came on. Yeah. <laughs> so you bring on Jorginho for a game where there are going to be open spaces. And I think Arteta was right to assume that was potentially coming in the sense that Everton maybe needed the win for their you know, relegation prospects and all that kind of stuff. So you would have thought maybe they're going to start to come out a little bit more or maybe they won't retreat as much. And um, the goal came straight after and the the game flipped on its head and suddenly Everton had licence to just sit back on their own 18-yard box, which they did. And Jorginho, I think he's a very good passer on the ball, but he can be a bit conservative at times. And I thought he was. And in fairness, I, his passing stats weren't great. It was only 80%, so not terrible, but not fantastic either. And I think... We don't know the seriousness of whether Partey was able to play the full 90 minutes after the injury. Arteta sort of seemed to imply in his uh, pre-match press conference that he wasn't fully fit, although he had been training the two days before. So it's a tough one. Um, I don't think Arsenal are going to be relying on Jorginho going forward for the rest of the season. I don't think they'll be relying on him to come in and change games in the way that they possibly might have been against Everton. And listen, he himself has said wherever he's gone, He's generally not started great, but gone over, to, gone on to win the fans. And, you know, he's, he's on a short-term contract at Arsenal, so he's not that long. But um, Chelsea didn't have the best of starts. Napoli, not the best of starts. I think even before that, Verona, not the best of starts. I think he's he's done a very good interview with the, the Players' Tribune, where he says basically that story. And that only fuels him even more to come back. So I'm sure he would have seen the criticism of his performance, and I'm sure he's going to use it to, to try and come back and become an even more better player for Arsenal. I think... There's a good player in there, and I think it's a, a shrewd signing, I think, in terms of trying to win the league. His experience will be valuable, leadership, all those kind of things. But like you say, it's just um, the game kind of flipped on its head as soon as he came on, and it, it was tough. I, I don't know if, if, if you think that the criticism's a bit harsh. I, I feel 
it went a bit over the top maybe but his, his Chelsea connections probably have a hard part to play in that definitely um this is to the Arsenal Vision podcast and I think Elliot was saying um you know it's difficult to get that the mindset of the fact that he was Chelsea and you're like you you just want to jump and criticize and you know you haven't got that same kind of defensive uh instinct over a player because they've just come from Chelsea but I felt bad in a sense that I also I was quite critical of people who jumped on him immediately after the game, like because that sets a tone for the player. Um, you know, if you suddenly, if, if especially for those accounts that have got a significant following as well, I think there's almost a responsibility to understand that influence that you potentially have. And if you start throwing out words like disaster and nightmare and awful after 40 minutes of gameplay, you're kind of in a way setting a tone for the rest of that player's career, they've then got to overcome. Um, and it was frustrating to see that because in my mind, if I was in that position, I'd be going, it wasn't the best performance, but you can absolutely see why being thrown into the lines then in that scenario didn't suit Jorginho at all. And that he did some good things still as well with progressive passing that maybe got overlooked because of the him conceding, well, us conceding uh, minutes after he came on and the fact we lost the game as well. And obviously it came after a game in which Partey came off against City and then we lost that. And Partey's influence gets kind of focused on a lot more and you kind of detract more away from maybe the, the positive sides of it. So, look, I'm, I'm still very... Um, happy with the the signing of Jorginho at the end of the window, ensuring that we had that depth and quality in case Partey gets injured. Because, you know, we've made mistakes in the window in the past. We think about last January of 2022 and what we didn't do and how that eventually ended up costing us because of the injuries we suffered and we didn't have the depth to deal with it. If we have injuries now, we have depth in the squad. Maybe not as good as the starting quality and not many teams are able to do that. Um, but we've got a lot better depth of quality than we had at the start of January uh, of this season. Um, so obviously when you go into facing Brentford, I've asked you about what kind of players you think will be changed. Um, in terms of a response, Brentford are a very good side. I'm in a very good season, actually, you know, them themselves are fighting for a European place um, and they will want revenge for us battering them at, at their ground earlier this season as well. And a very impressive performance from Arsenal, Fabio Vieira with that very impressive goal. But we all have Gabriel Jesus, of course, this time around that we did. He got a goal in that game. How are you kind of expecting this game to to play out? Um, I think, as I mentioned before, I think a lot of things will be in Arsenal's favour that weren't in their favour in the Everton game. And I do think Brentford will have noticed that set-piece weakness. Um, if you can call it a weakness, mm. Arsenal have only conceded three times on set-pieces all season. But... I think uh, maybe if they stick a big man on Martin Odegaard, I wrote a piece about this uh, on the site on on Monday in terms of Everton targeted that weakness. They found it in the in the Arsenal sort of set piece defence where Odegaard was run at by Calvert Lewin, uh, Tarkovsky, and Anana all before eventually Tarkovsky got the winning goal. Brentford have a few big men of their own. Maybe they'll look to threaten Arsenal through set pieces. That's how they've done it in the past, and they're a side that while they like to play football they like to keep it on the floor they're not too proud to you know go long ball they love a long throw as Arsenal know all too well from that catastrophic 2-0 defeat on the opening day of of last season but Arsenal will also be confident that if they play their football and they play the way they've been playing at home all season they'll be able to come away with a win I don't think anyone will be going into that assuming it'll be a rollover I don't think anyone will be expecting an easy three points Brentford are seventh in the league right now they're a very good side but I think Arsenal have to be confident they'll be wary of course on the counter but Brentford will look to counter Arsenal. They've not conceded a goal, I don't think, in transition Arsenal this season. Saliba and Gabriel are 
physically superb and they can deal with a player like Adam Tony. Brian Burma is obviously very quick, but you know, I batched Libra in a, in a foot race against him as well. Beyond that, Everton, sorry, uh, Brentford will let's play that, that 5 3 2 that they tend to play against the, the bigger teams. And it could cause Arsenal problems if they don't sort of deal with it correctly. But at the same time, Arsenal will have to be confident going into it. If, the, if you're not confident, five points clear at the top of the league, having not lost all season in a home game against, you know, a, a lesser side, then what game are you going to be confident in? So it won't be easy, I don't think, but you know, they've got to be they've got to be focusing on the three points, I think. You'd think so. Uh, you'd think that they can't afford to not have just the mindset of responding, focusing on what they're going to do. Maybe we did focus on too much of what Everton did rather than focusing on what our strengths are in that game. And maybe looking at this Brentford game, we just need to go in with the intensity that we typically start games with at home. You know, we've scored a lot of game, a lot of goals from kind of early on in, in home games. And we've got to try and do that because as soon as you get that first goal, you settle the nerves. You know, we've not scored now in our last two games. We need a goal. As soon as you get that goal, it really does help to, to settle things, to mature your confidence in a single 90 minutes and, and hopefully push on to three points. But, you know, what follows that, is again I, I'm hoping that we'll have time to talk about um before it happens in next week's show. Um there's potential that we, we might not have time before that game comes around. But um Manchester City, as we know, is a test that I would probably bill as the biggest game of the decade for Arsenal. I'm trying to think people would say FA Cup finals, but when you have the potential, if we win and they win their weekend fixtures, to go eleven points clear with a, uh, eight points clear of a game in hand, um, with then the potential to be eleven points clear, you know that's massive, absolutely massive. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it as the biggest game in a decade, but I, when the second I heard you say that, my reaction was, "Nah, it's not that big." And I started thinking, "Oh wait, no, um, twenty eighteen Europa League, but that's not really." Yeah. Maybe if you look at if Arsenal win that, do they go in a different trajectory? They're back in the Champions League. I don't know. That's a sliding doors kind of moment. But yeah, no, no that's not as big. Um, yeah, wow. Yeah, it probably is that big. And the way the fixture list has obviously fallen with you know the sad passing of the Queen in the first half of the season in September obviously meant that Europa League got postponed and all that. So yeah, it's 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 massive. And I don't think Arsenal will go into it thinking they have to win, but. It's their home game and they'll want to win. And I think, you know, maybe even just about favourites to win at home, given the the, the way so. they, they went head-to-head with Man City at the Etihad and the fact that S, uh, City haven't looked that on it in the game since, since they played, I think they played Spurs, didn't they? And um, have they played another team since then? I, I, I don't think so. I think they should have Spurs, yeah. yeah. Spurs. And they, they didn't look great against Spurs. But, yeah, it's a, it's a massive game. Uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to preview it on the pod. But, um I don't know. That's. I mean, again, we know how Arsenal will play. We know they'll set up with their their tucked in for assuming everyone's fit, of course. We know that Arsenal will go into that game with tucked in fullbacks. They'll try and dominate the midfield. They'll try and pick them apart in the final thirds if they get the chance, and they'll try. They'll try and they'll try and win playing their way. So it nearly worked in the home fixture last season when um, Gabriel was sent off and City scored in the last minute. You know, Arsenal will probably want some revenge for that. And they'll be they're they're a team that you know has been keeping checks this year, haven't they? They've been keeping receipts on their defeats. They they said that after the Man U game, they wanted to win against Man U to get one back, and I think they're 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 uh, they're willing to do that. So yeah, massive game, massive game, and we'll we'll try and bring you a bit more uh, preview of it before uh, Wednesday's Wednesday's clash because it, it's going to be massive. 
it's so hard to consider like this Brentford game at the weekend. And that's, I think, in itself a challenge that the yeah. players have got to face is that they've got this juggernaut of a fixture just a few days after what is absolutely a must-win game against Brentford. And Arteta will be saying, we've got to take this game by game. We're not thinking about City. We can't think about City. We have to focus on this game, get this done, mission complete, and then move on to on to City. But yeah, it's, it's psychologically a very difficult thing to navigate uh, with such a, a big thing on the horizon. Um, yes, let's let's go to, to questions then. Um, we obviously ask each week on social media for your questions. Uh, do look out for those at Kaya Kynak 97 at Tom Canton Media uh, and of course on Kaya's Facebook page as well. Uh, you can find us uh, putting out the messages about them. Do you have one to hand? I feel like that was a sufficiently long intro for you yes, to find. Yes, very, very, very <laughs> Um, okay, so this is quite a good question on Facebook from uh, Gary Andrew Protter, who says, with reports during the latest window that Arsenal were not prepared to pay over the odds for the Caicedo, which is what we reported at Football London, and uh, they're not willing to get in, in, involved in a, a bidding war with Chelsea, do you think it's likely that they will get Declan Rice in the summer, given that Chelsea are obviously interested? We've reported on Football London that Arsenal are interested as well. David Moyes has said he'll be a British record transfer fee. Some saying he'll be worth £120 million, That the numbers we've reported on and FL have been closer to the £80 million mark, given that he is in the, the last year of his contract. And you would expect David Moyes to, to come out and say, look, I think he's going to be a British record transfer fee. I think we you know, we want to try and get as much money for him as possible if you're a West Ham, uh, someone with West Ham sympathies. But do you think Arsenal will... It's, it's really hard to say now, but let's let's look at it like this. I'll, I'll slightly rephrase uh, the question. And do you think Arsenal will be willing to go toe-to-toe with Chelsea for a player like Declan Rice? Um it depends on what how much Chelsea are willing to spend. Arsenal don't want to go over what they value players. Um, and if if you go by history, it'd be naive of me to say, yeah, they'll pay whatever West Ham want. It'd be so naive of me to say that because we know that's not the case. They're willing to go over perhaps their valuation by some way. They did it with Mudrick. They did it with Caicedo. Um reluctantly um, yeah. because they knew how much they needed. But in a summer transfer window, the context is different. There will be players out there beyond Declan Rice as well that are marquee defensive midfielders. So if they can't get him, they'll hope that they can get a good enough uh, alternative to him at a more reasonable price tag. That's not what people want to hear. People want to hear us doing, you know, really ambitious things. And to them, ambition is the the amount of money in front of that pound sign. I don't necessarily look at it that way. I think ambition is working a football club in a way that it's aimed towards finishing as high as feasibly possible, that you're not putting a target of top four or getting to this far in a cup competition. Ambition is trying to do everything you can to get the the, the top, top accolades and to win. Um, and I believe that Arsenal have been doing that in the market, even though they've not been able to get their primary targets. They're doing it in order to sustain dominance over a longer period of time they don't necessarily want to follow a Liverpool model that then falls apart after a league and Champions League win if Arsenal and you know fingers crossed they do can win a title and then potentially go on to win further titles like maybe Champions Leagues I don't want it to fall apart after that I want it to be maintained and I want the dominance through sustainable um, revenue and recruitment and selling and all these things to happen so no 
the answer is no, I'm not 100% confident that we get Declan Rice because there are teams like Chelsea, potentially even Man United with this uh, possible takeover as well on their end. Newcastle now coming into the mix and who knows what happens with Man City these days. But there's always going to be those big financial juggernauts in football that we refuse through principle to engage with at that kind of level because we would prefer to do things our own way and not be coerced or bullied into breaking out of those means. And for those that think that that's the wrong way to do it, I'm just going to point you towards the Premier League table. So, yeah, that's, I think, the best way to, to handle it. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's, that's fair. I think Arsenal have shown that if they view a player as worth a certain amount, they, they won't go higher than that because that's, you know, I think that's a strong way to... To, to act in the transfer market. I've spoken to people at the club who speak with great pride about that in terms of they're not willing to be sort of messed around in the transfer market. And I think I've spoken to sources who say, look, we want to protect the long-term interests of the club. And as much as it's about short-term and medium-term, it's also about long-term. And yeah, Declan Rice would be a fantastic addition to this Arsenal squad. I think, you know, I, I view him more as the, the left eight kind of competition for Granit Xhaka and, oh, I see that and I think fantastic. What a fantastic player that would be. But also, I think Arsenal don't want to be messed around and they've shown that they're willing to pay whatever, it, you know, that what they view as the, the right fee for for targets. Everyone thought that paying 30 million for Aaron Ramsdale was crazy money. That turned out to be a really good piece of business. Everyone thought 50 mil for Ben White was crazy money. That's turned out to be good business. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're big decisions that Arsenal are going to make and, they have a valuation. As we've reported on FL, it looks around the 80 mil mark, but, you know, I'm sure they might be willing to go higher. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't say, um, yeah, around the 80 mil mark for now, but they can probably go higher if, if if they feel that that's worth it. And, yeah, that's the that's the long and short of it. It's, 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 it would be a fantastic addition to this Arsenal squad if they can get it done, and fingers crossed they can. Yeah, absolutely. Um Let's uh, let's go to one of my questions then. Uh, let's go to Tom Sevens at RVA Guna, who says, between Edson Alvarez, the Ajax defensive midfielder, uh, Martin Zubimendi, the Real Sociedad defensive midfielder, and Moises Caicedo, of course, of Brighton, uh, who do you think will be the preferred target uh, for Arsenal? Why? Now, it's interesting, though, obviously, we just talked about Declan Rice there, who Tom hasn't mentioned. And there is an argument that Rice with his athleticism, would suit maybe more the Granit Xhaka role than the number six position. So with those players that we've mentioned, it, a move for Rice doesn't necessarily rule out Arsenal wanting to progress in that midfield. Yeah. We reported, of course, that we wanted both Rice and Caicedo. So yeah. what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, yeah, like you say, on FL, we've reported Arsenal wanted both uh, Declan Rice and Moises Caicedo. Whether that changes now that Jorginho's come in, we'll see come the summer. Um, yeah, Caicedo is the, the the main target for Arsenal. He was in January and most likely would be in the summer if, if that's a position they feel they need to go back in to strengthen again. Mm. Um, Zuma Mendy is a player they were interested in. And um, unfortunately, they, they decided that, you know, despite having shown a willingness to maybe meet the player's release clause, that they decided that they, he decided, sorry, that he wanted to stay until the end of the season. And Sociedad were very firm that they wanted to keep him as well. Um, we reported that again. Uh, just before deadline day that Sociedad basically said, no, he's not going anywhere. So, you know, it was unfortunate for Arsenal because I think Martin Zubmendi is going to be a fantastic player. And I think in terms of the technical capabilities, you need to to play that Thomas Partey role. I think he's got it and he's got the athleticism as well. And I really like him as a player. I did that classic uh, 
January transfer window thing of watching a few YouTube compilations and then falling in love. And I was I was ready to have my heart broken come January thirty first. But maybe again in the summer I'll be I'll be I'll be open to to that. I'll be in a vulnerable state all over again when it comes to transfers. But I think he'd be a fantastic addition. But Moises Caicedo is there's the guy they decided to go for in January. They were willing to put quite a lot of money down to try and bring him in. But obviously, it didn't end up happening. And we'll, we'll see whether they feel that Jorginho will be enough to maybe carry them on for one more season or whether they feel they'll bring in another player. I think it probably depends on how Jorginho gets on this season. If, if he improves on his Saturday performance and goes on to be a fantastic player in this Arsenal squad, maybe they'll feel they don't need to bring in another player. I mean, they've got the option to have him for two more years beyond the end of this season if they decide to. So we'll see. We'll see on that one. Um, okay, so over to me now for the questions. Uh, another one on Facebook, which is um, yes, so Man City related. Um, it's a debate I think you and I have had. It's a debate we've had on the Arsenal chat and uh, our work Slack chat as well. But we'll we'll bring it onto the pod. And it's um, obviously everyone's seen the stories about Man City this week in terms of their you know financial dealings in the Premier League and all that kind of stuff. And we're sort of not going to go into the intricacies of that because, you know, you don't want to report something necessarily that doesn't turn out to be true. But there there are suggestions that there could be uh, implications for City and it's looking likely that those will get kicked down the road and possibly won't have an impact on this season. But uh, if they were to have an impact on this season, the question is, you know, do you think if Man City were to be deducted points or relegated, do you think that would have an impact on how this Arsenal season is viewed if they were to go on and win the Premier League? Yes. In short, yes, I do. Um, not through our fault or not through us being not worthy of, of a title, but just because it's an excuse um, for rival supporters, for dislikers of, of Arsenal to point towards something. Um so, yeah, unfortunately, I do. I don't want it to, um, but people will put an asterisk next to the season. Um, they will point to it because Arsenal's main rival is suddenly out of the picture. Um, so how could it not, you know, um, for some, put, uh, put something, an edge to the potential title victory? It sucks. You know, that's kind of, there's part of me that even though I want them to be found, you know, um, I want them to face the, the right consequences if they are indeed guilty of these uh allegations that it happens kind of after the season's concluded in a way because i'd just i'd like to ask if arsenal were to win the league to win it knowing that we won no, i don't use the words fair and square because if they're found guilty obviously nothing they've done is fair and square but you know what i mean like we've won with the competition that we had at its strength for those 38 games um and that you, it feels like you've really earned that title victory. Not that we, again, wouldn't have done. Um, but it's it's a delicate conversation. I've spoken to people that go, I don't care. I'll still party like crazy if we win the league. Um, and I'd rather have a, a, a title with an asterisk next to it than no title at all, which I think is completely fair. Um, what about you? I'm, I'm of that I don't care opinion. You ask any Liverpool fan what do you think of the COVID season? Do you think that mm. title didn't count as much after 30 years of not winning the Premier League? They'll tell you, don't care. And yeah. I think that'd be the same for Arsenal. Um, Arsenal were in a position before all this came out where they were in the lead, um, five points clear with the game in hand. They've been fantastic all season. They've been the best team in the Premier League so far. So yeah. I personally, I wouldn't care. It's been 19 years since Arsenal won a Premier League. People are always going to have a go. People have a go at the Invincibles, for example. It's become this sort of, 
popular hot take that the Invincibles weren't good because they drew a bunch of games. It's like, as we saw on Saturday, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to go a whole season unbeaten because things go against you. You need decisions to go in your way. You need injuries to go in your way. You also need to be really consistent and play well almost every single game. And yeah, I think there's always going to be criticisms of any Arsenal team that wins the Premier League. And that's just the nature of being one of the bigger clubs in the country is you get criticised. It's not like when Leicester won the Premier League and there's no, um, I guess, talk about the fact that the the league that season was quite a poor one. Uh, Arsenal, you know, were, were there and abouts, but Man City were way off. Chelsea were down in 10th. United were way off. Um, Liverpool were way off. All those kind of things. That stuff doesn't get mentioned with Leicester because, you know, the fairy tale story. And by the way, I don't think their title counts for any less. But all I'm saying is probably if it had been Arsenal that had won that Premier League, people would have been saying, ah, oh, it doesn't count because the rest of the league was rubbish that season. No, I don't have I'm not taking that. And I think that's a nonsense argument. I think if Arsenal win the Premier League via any form uh, within the rules, then uh I don't care. I don't care at all. Yeah, that's fair enough. Does it um this is probably a bit of a loaded question, but when it came, when it comes out about Man City, I kind of put myself in the boots of a Man City fan, and was like, you know, because you're not in control of it, you know, and you, from your perspective, you're going, well, I hope that we're not guilty of these things. Does it? Did it? Did it ever make you feel? And I'm not saying that we're saying Arsenal have ever done anything untowards or against the wall, but did it ever put you in kind of a position where you felt like, or you were thinking to yourself, oh, boy, I really hope that we've done everything by the book, if you know what I mean? Um. I see what you're it's saying. It's not me suggesting that I, I think we haven't. It just kind of, you know, because it it really did come out of nowhere in a way. And I know that they had the previous thing where they had UEFA uh, after them as well for something. So there was arguably always something rumbling. It's just because we're so out of the know as fans. And I'm speaking here as a fan more than I am a journalist at this point. But you're, we are so out of the know, the know those things that, that happen in the world. And there's so much money in football. that There's always that part of me that goes, Boy, I really hope that we're we're good. Do you know what I mean? I do, um, but like you said, we've got no suggestion that Arsenal haven't. No, um, I'm not saying you ha- you are saying this, but I'm, I, I don't think there's any suggestion that Arsenal done anything wrong. And until yeah. there is any suggestion, that's not really something to worry about. So yeah, mm. I wouldn't say. Yeah, that's fair enough. Of course, there was. I think it was. It was at the times that had Arsenal on a list of clubs that they were monitoring in terms of FFP. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Previously. Um, I think Arteta, Tybosh that story, but um, not sure. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, we'll interestingly follow that Man City story and see what happens with it. Um, let's let's see if we can do one more each uh, to, before we wrap up. Um, let's go to Gunnar1005 uh, at Jacqueline1005 Attis, who says, uh, injury update, if possible, on Smith Row. Uh, and then concerning the Aston Villa game after the Man City, I feel that we'll be in trouble if we lose. So there's kind of two questions in one there. So an update on Smith Row. And if we are to lose to City, how do you think that will affect us going forwards? Okay. Uh, Smith Rowe, um, the latest I know is that he, he's he um, been sort of recovering still from that thigh strain. It was recording this on Wednesday, so it's quite a while until the Brentford game still. So probably too early to rule him out for, for that game. Um, what was the second half of the question? Sorry, uh, Aston Villa. Uh, the second half was if we were to say and, you know, touch wood, lose to Man City, um, how do you think that would affect the team beyond that game do you think that they would it would be such a damaging result mentally that it could cause us to crumble or do you think we'd respond quite valiantly i think they've respond pretty well i think they've shown this season that they respond pretty well after setbacks um 
not had too many defeats, but they've responded generally pretty well when they have lost. After the Man United game, they went on to win, gosh, how many was it? I think seven or eight in a row. Um, if they can do that this time around, fantastic. Uh, you know, in these hypothetical situations. Uh, yeah, well, if, if they want to win the Premier League, they'll have to bounce back quickly, won't they? So, you know, um, I think it's a young team, Arsenal, but I think they're also a team that has developed rapidly in terms of emotional maturity across the Premier League season. And they've dealt with disappointment before. They didn't finish in the top four last season. They've come back and they're now in with the title chart. So, yeah, Arsenal as a team do deal well with disappointment. I actually asked Arteta, you know, how do you stop um, the losses snowballing? And he gave me uh, a very straight answer of uh, winning. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you, Carl. So it made sense. It made sense. And, um, uh, yeah, it's hard to, hard to disagree with that. Just go on and win the next game. That's all they can do. Uh, do you want to finish us off with one? Sure. More? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, question here is uh, with Ben White's uh, performances in the past couple of games, obviously taken off at half time against Manchester United. And um, I think it was 10, 15 minutes ago when he was hooked at Everton, didn't have the best of games there. I singled him out in my player ratings. Uh, I thought he was, he had a really poor game, gave the ball away a lot, didn't contribute much to the attack defensively, was fine, but that was about it, really. So, um, would you bring in Tommy Assey for the next game? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm always more of a fan of saying players should have the opportunity to play themselves back into form unless it's like a really, really bad scenario. But I don't think White has given an indication of, of that. You know, you think about how strong he's been most of the season. One good display and suddenly you're back on track again. Um, so, no. I, I, what I would do is I'd do something similar to what we did against Man United if he's say on a yellow card by half time. Then you can bring him off for Tommy Asu in that case. But no, I think you give him the chance at the start of the game and if things aren't going well, then you can bring him off. Um, I think that, yeah, there's, there's always kind of this desire to want to, to, to very quickly want to change the narrative around certain players if we're being honest, he's been one of the best players we've had this whole season. Uh, one of the most consistent players we've had this season. If you are, and you know, I don't think obviously he came back early from, from the world cup. Um, but I think he came back after the world cup and played well against West Ham, played well against Brighton. So it's not like it's been world cup and then bad. It's, it's not that at all. You know, I think he's just had a couple of bad games and I think that players go through those phases. So, but Tommy Asu will be there pushing him. I think he, Tommy did an interview recently with Charles Watts um, talking about how, you know, he's, he's he admits that Ben's been great this season, you know, and you've got a fight, but he's going to be there pushing and, and trying to convince Arteta that he deserves to be back in the side. That's great. You want that dynamic in the squad. So, uh, no, I wouldn't drop him for this one. I'd maintain him and get him fired up and ready to respond as well against Man City in a few days after that. Um, lovely stuff. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? Anything you're burning to get off your chest? Just echoing your thoughts on Ben White. I think he deserves a, a chance to to get back into form. I think he's been really good this season. And yeah, bear in mind, he's not been an out-and-out right-back for a whole season. He's generally played centre-back and that transition is mm. not easy and he's done it really well. And we all think Tommy Asu is a great player, but I'd argue that when he's been in the side this season, he's not been massively impressive in terms of the heights he was able to reach last season either. So he's a great backup to have if he does need to come in and take Ben White's place. And if Arteta does decide that's what he wants to do, I don't think any Arsenal fans will be, I guess, losing sleep over that decision. But I do think Ben White deserves another chance to play. And yeah, we'll see what happens on Saturday. 
Absolutely. Um, that brings us quite nicely to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much, everybody that's tuned in and listened. If you are listening on audio platforms on Spotify, do leave us a five-star review. If you're listening on iTunes, leave us a written review. Uh, you can tell us how much you like us, which we always appreciate reading. And of course, if you are watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. We're closing in now on 50,000 subscribers. Thank you so much for the continued support on the Arsenal way. Kaya, tell people where they can find you and what you're going to be up to. I'm on Twitter at KayaKainet97. Uh, we have the press conference, Mikel Arteta's pre-Brentford press conference coming up on Friday, half past one UK time. So we'll bring you all the coverage of that. Um, live vlog, transcript, breakers, all that kind of stuff. And then the game on Saturday, the, the big one, uh, Arsenal versus Brentford before the really big one on Wednesday, where, like I say, we'll try and bring you some some previews of that before on, on the Views from the Clock End podcast. But yeah, that's the that's the highlights of the week so far. Yeah, so make sure you go and follow Kyra on Twitter and socials as well. You can find myself at Tom Canton Media on Twitter and, of course, be producing plenty of stuff. Both of us will for football.london, all the written stuff over there. So you can keep up with all the Arsenal latest on the website. Thank you for listening. Drop a like, subscribe if you're new. And as always, keep following us down at the Arsenal way with our views from the clock end. <laughs>